Good morning, church. Morning. <laughs> Today we will be reading um, in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses one through eight. That's page nine eighty-seven in the Bibles around the room. Um, when I am done reading, I will say this is a reading of God's word, and we will respond by saying thanks be to God. And we respond that way because we are so thankful that God has provided his word for us today. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us from impur for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever regards this, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the reading of God's word. God. Let's pray. God, we praise you. You are the morning sun, the light that chases away our darkened sin, renewing us daily in love with your beautiful grace. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being the redeemer of all brokenness. Thank you, Lord, for being the avenger of all transgression. Thank you, Lord, for your overwhelming mercy. God, sanctify us. Help us to walk in holiness. Set us apart so that the world knows we are yours. Help us to live and grow in that truth so that we can have a life that is pleasing to you. Center our hearts on you, Lord. Today, as Pastor Matt preaches your word, be with him. We lift him up today on his birthday. All glory and honor to God. Amen. Okay, T. All right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. It is my birthday, so I can say whatever I want when I'm up here this morning, all right? Yeah, I was talking to some people this morning, and they're like, man, you seem to just be drawing the short straw on all these fun sermons about sex and things like that, and so, because I got to do it last summer, too, and so... uh you know, but um, we're excited this morning. If you're here at Living Stones and this is one of your first times here, we're glad that you're here. Um, what we like to do is we like to open up the Bible and just go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we've been doing that through the book of First Thessalonians. And so this morning we find ourselves in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And so if you're not there, I'd make sure that you grab one of those black hardback Bibles around the room. Make sure that you open it up. We're on page 987. And uh, the, the chapters are the big numbers, the verses are the small numbers. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to take one of those Bibles home with you so that way you can have it and read it on your own. Bring it back here next week, and then you can start writing in it, taking notes in it. We would love it if you would do that. So uh, you heard it. We're talking about sex this morning. And so um, really what we want to talk about this morning, though, is gospel sexuality. And, and, and so um, when we talk about gospel sexuality, there's really three questions that I have this morning that I want us to, to ponder and, and try and answer this morning because 
as we look at this text, what we really see the Apostle Paul calling us to is to honor God with our sexuality. And so three questions that go with that this morning are, what is gospel sexuality, first of all? Why gospel sexuality? Why does it matter? Why should it be something that we even think about? And then finally, how can we honor God with our sexuality? And so, like Taylor said, I don't want to be crude, vulgar, any, anything like that, but we are going to be talking about these things that uh, we thought maybe you didn't want to go home and talk to your kids about if you haven't done so already. So, um, just that's the warning, all right? So, um, so, as we talk about gospel sexuality this morning, first thing I want you guys to notice is look at chapter 4, verse 1. Notice, who is Paul talking to? He's talking to the brothers. He's talking to the church. And in verse 8, he says, who gives us his Holy Spirit? So we're talking to the church as we talk about this idea of gospel sexuality. Not that it doesn't matter to the rest of the world, because God designed this thing we're going to see this morning. And it should matter to all of us. But really, Paul is talking to us as Christians. This is how we should live. This is the standard that God holds us to. We can't look at people outside of the church, look at people outside of Christ, and try to hold them to that same standard until they first become Christians and God places his spirit inside of them because this is spirit work that we're talking about this morning. Okay, so that's the first thing that I want to talk about right now. Okay, the other thing that I would say is we could go in all sorts of just directions with this. Because if you've paid at all any attention to anything that's going on in our society, you know that sexuality is just out there right now. Okay, but what we want to do is we want to kind of hone in on what Paul is really getting at here. And what he is talking about is in the marriage relationship, what does gospel sexuality look like? What does it look like to honor the covenant of marriage and to engage in sexuality the way that God designed it for married people? Because really what he's getting at is affairs were rampant in Greece and Rome at this point in time. And we're going to talk about all that. So we're going to try and dial it in right there. When I first got this topic and I was like, hey, Shay, thanks for trading with me. Because um, he was supposed to be here preaching today, but instead he's in South Carolina enjoying the beach. And, and so I was like, oh, man, I could go in so many different directions. But as I prayed, as I just looked at this, this is really where God is trying to draw our attention to this morning, church. And so let's just start by getting into this text um, the first question that we ask, what is gospel sexuality? Verse 1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So Paul talks to them first about what he taught them already what they received from him, what they received from God. And so what I want to do is I just want to kind of look through the Bible and see what have we received from God regarding this idea of gospel sexuality. And so it starts way back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, 24, God established what the covenant of marriage would look like and what gospel sexuality should be from the very beginning. He says in Genesis 2, 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And this is the foundation for everything that we're talking about this morning. This is God establishing, one, the covenant of marriage, and two, sex within that covenant of marriage. 
Adam and Eve didn't just discover, like, oh, look at what we can do. Like, it wasn't just by accident that, like, sex was found out about. It was God's idea. He commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. What do you think he's talking about there? Like, he commanded it. From the beginning, God set up this idea of gospel sexuality, that it should be in the covenant of marriage between one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And that's how he set up sexuality from the very beginning. And then when we get to Genesis chapter 3, the fall happens and brokenness enters into everything. Every part of creation was touched with brokenness. And that includes the covenant of marriage and sexuality. And so throughout the Old Testament, God gives command after command of trying to get the people of God back to what he had originally intended for sexuality. You can read through Deuteronomy. You can read through Leviticus. There are laws that have been set up by God to try and get back to that um, original status of gospel sexuality, which was one man, one woman, one lifetime. And then Jesus continued to affirm the teachings of God from the Old Testament in the New Testament. In Matthew 19, and it's not going to be on the, the, the screen because there's a whole bunch that's going on. But um, the, the teachers of law and the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, so like, talk to us about this whole idea of divorce and about marriage and what's going on here. And uh, Jesus, he goes right back to Genesis 2.24. And he says, this is what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If you didn't get it, like that's what God said way back when. That's what I'm still holding to now. And then he goes on to to add more to it even. He says, so there are no longer two but one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. And you probably have heard that at weddings when you've gone to them. I always include that in, in, in weddings that I do because this is how God has established marriage and sex to be enjoyed. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And so in his teachings on marriage and divorce and sex, Jesus lays out two paths. You either are in a relationship according to what God set up from the beginning, or you stay single for the rest of your life. Those are the two options that Jesus gives us. It doesn't have any other loopholes, any other ways out, Any other, well, maybe if this is how you're feeling, then you could do this. No. We're entering into the covenant of marriage, one man, one woman, one lifetime, or we're staying single for our lives is what Jesus is saying. And he says that this is a hard teaching for people to understand. And the reason why, and we're going to see it, because culture just wants to take it and do whatever it wants with sexuality, with marriage. And so then the apostles, they also taught us about sexuality. And so one of the things that we see the apostles teaching, um, and it's going to be on the the screen behind me in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13. I'm going to read it for us. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. 
And so what was happening in the first century is basically what was being taught is that our bodies were just the sum of our desires. If you had a desire to go and do something physically, mentally, sexually, go and do it. That's what your body's calling you to do. And what the Apostle Paul is establishing is that's not what our bodies are meant for. We can't just go off on a whim and whatever we feel like doing, go and do. Okay, so that's what, what's being set up. And then further on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he tells us, the Apostle Paul, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And so this is sin unlike any other sin. But what Paul is calling out is that any sin outside of God's definition of, 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 for sex and for marriage any sort of sexual immorality is sin. There's a professor at the University of Oklahoma. His name's Kyle Harper, and he's an expert on the late Roman world. And he wrote a book called From Shame to Sin, The Christian Transformation of Sexual Morality in Late Antiquity. And so he's just the super smart guy about all this stuff. And and in his book, he's really not coming at it from one perspective or another perspective. What he's trying to do is show like, what happened in the Roman Empire when this Christian biblical ethic of sexuality entered in. And he said that, that sexual morality quickly came to mark the great divide between Christians and the rest of the world. As Christians, our view of sexuality should set us apart from the rest of the world. And, and the Apostle Paul is going to get into that here in just a minute. But as he's talking about this, look at what he says. It's, it's as you receive from us, as you ought to walk, that it's according to the commandments of, of Jesus. This is Paul's discipleship of the church. It's all rooted in God's word. One of our core values is that we're disciples making disciples. We want to be people who are centered around the word of God, that are lifting up the word of God and using this to guide us and direct us in our lives. And he says this, and it's, it's just, you might glance over it really quick, but it says, and to please God. This statement, to please God, it's, it's kind of crazy for us um, because we like to think that we can do nothing to please God, right? Like we, we look at, like the cross it is what we look to it's what we center our faith upon because we know that we can't earn God's favor but Jesus did it for us and so this idea of pleasing God it's kind of hard for us to grasp but if you're a parent you know what I'm talking about here so the other day my son Elijah he's my middle child he came up to me and he said dad do you like me and I'm like yeah buddy I like you not always but I do, I like you. And he's like, what do you mean you don't always like me? I'm like, well, when you just kicked me in the nuts a couple minutes ago, like I don't like it when you do that. And I have a really hard time liking you in that moment. But I always love you, son. I always love you, no matter what it is that you're doing. And that's what God is telling to us as his kids, is that there's a certain way that we can live that would please God and honor God by being obedient to what he's called us to do. But even if we're not living that way, he still loves us. So we can't earn God's favor because he's already given it to us, but we can live in a way that pleases him, 
by being obedient to him. And that's what Paul is talking to us about here, is being obedient to God in this realm of sexual immorality and sexual purity. And so why gospel sexuality? That's the next question. Well, look at verse 3. It says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I remember when I first became a Christian, all I wanted to know was what was the will of God for my life. And since I've become a pastor, that's like the question that people ask all the time. Hey, pastor, I just want to know what's God's will for me. What's God's will? And I'm like, well, right here. Your sanctification. That is what God is calling every Christian in this room to, is sanctification. And so sanctification involves really three things. It's being set apart, being different than the world around us, being different than we were before we knew Christ. It involves us, our holiness. And really what it comes down to is us being like Jesus. Ultimately, we can define sanctification as the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And like I talked about at the beginning, this is God's work. We can try and try and try, but ultimately, God needs to transform us. We need the gospel to work in our hearts. We need the spirit to come in and help us in any form of progression towards becoming like Jesus. It's nothing that we can do on our own. As a family, one of the things that we like to do is we like to watch America's Funniest Videos. And that might be a shock to you that it's even still on, right? Like, but that show is still running. And so we were watching it last week, and there was this video of this little kid, and he's sitting there, and he's, and, he, and he's like grunting, and like you can see that he's really straining and, and, and trying to do something. And, and his mom's like, what are you trying to do? He's like, I'm trying to grow up. And he's, and he's trying to grow up. And for us as Christians, to try and become like Jesus on our own, we're just like that little kid. It's nothing that we can do. It's the work of God in our lives. So this is the will of God, our sanctification. It's this work of God. It's us being set apart. And so I want to talk about what being set apart looks like sexually for us. Because it might come as a surprise to you, but the culture that Paul's writing to might have been more liberal than we are. I was like floored as I was doing research. I read book after book, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrific. So first of all, Jesus told us that we're to be, that we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world, right? And so as a church, we should look different than the world around us. And so for this church, it was a big deal. For us, it's a big deal. So basically, in the Roman world that Paul was writing to, if you're a man, there was really no such thing as sexual immorality for you. You could do whatever you wanted to. If you were married, it didn't matter. Men basically ruled the roost. And so if you were married, it was okay for you to have sex with a woman that wasn't married. It was okay for you to go and visit prostitutes. Some men, because of their place in society, they had a harem. They had their concubines that they would get to have sex with outside of 
their relationship with their wives. In Athens, the saying was that your wives were for your legal heirs and your concubines were for your sexual desires. Some people had their own servants, which then became their sex slaves. And then the grossest thing is that some men had young boys that they could do whatever they wanted with to fulfill their sexual desires. And it was okay as far as their culture was concerned. Adultery was only a crime that could be committed against a man. A man could go out and do whatever he wanted, but if his wife went out and slept with somebody else, that was a no-no. And, and like gross stuff, like men and women could share spouse, or men, men and men could share spouses with each other as long as they agreed to it. And so it had to come to the point where Christians said that we had all things in common except for our wives, because that was something that was normal in their culture. And so women had like no standing in this culture as far as sex was concerned. Everything was permissive. The sexual morality in the Roman Empire was permissive. It was based on social status and sex, uh, sexual desire could be fulfilled in a myriad of ways. But sexual morality under the triumph of Christianity was defined, it was based upon gender, and sexual desire could be fulfilled in only one way, with your spouse in the covenant of marriage. You see, this was brand new teaching, what Paul is calling the church to, because what Paul is calling the church to is it's giving women value and dignity in the marriage covenant. Not because of any social status that they had, but because... They were created in the image of God. And so this was a good thing for the culture. A lot of people want to look at the Bible as being oppressive. But what it did is it freed women here. They have the same standing as men now because of the teachings of the Bible. Now, I'm not going to say that the Bible hasn't been used to oppress women in relationships throughout history. But really, when we look at it the way that God intended it to, it's freeing for women in that way. Monogamy was something that the Romans held to. But it was, you got to sleep with your wife and anybody else that you wanted to, but your wife couldn't go sleeping around. But in Christianity, they got rid of all of those extra allowances that the Romans had and said, no, it's defined within the biblical covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife. And so we're called to be set apart. We're called to be holy. And I know that in regards to sexual immorality, sometimes it feels like our holiness is two steps forward and one step back. And then other times it feels like we take two steps forward and then we take three steps back. But God is with us. God wants us to be transformed, church. He wants us to be set apart. It's his will for our lives. And so in our culture, we have all these allowances that we come up with. We've got things like pornography that people think is all right to enter into in the covenant of marriage. Masturbation, different affairs, those kind of things, whether they're emotional or, uh, or physical. And what the Bible is calling us to is to be different from the world, to not allow those things to have place in our lives. 
And so the final question that we want to ask this morning is, how can we honor God with our sexuality? So, verse 3 tells us, abstain from sexual immorality. And so when we look at the Bible, this word for sexual immorality, it's this junk drawer term. Uh, it's the Greek word porne, and it really just means any and all sex outside of the biblical definition of the covenant of marriage. And so it includes affairs, both physical and emotional. It includes hooking up. It includes premarital sex, masturbation, pornography, lust, homosexuality, bestiality, orgies, polygamy, prostitution, fornication. Like we could just keep going and going and going. But any of that stuff, we're told to abstain from as Christians. We're told to honor God with the covenant of marriage. And so we do this in a couple of ways. One, avoiding impurity. Two, respecting others. So look at what verse 4 says. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We want to avoid impurity, church. We're called to control our bodies in holiness and honor. And so this is brand new. Remember, if a man had a physical, sexual desire, he could take it out in so many different ways in this culture that Paul was writing to. And we see that it's happening in our culture too. But what we're called to is to control our bodies in holiness and honor. By the power of the Spirit, we can live as new creations, church. We are no longer slaves to our sexual desires and appetites. And so this is in contrast to the culture then and the culture now. We're told in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We don't have to live like we used to when we were outside of Christ. Amen, church? Like, we don't have to live like that because God has given us his spirit. He's made us new creations. Like the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you now. And so if you were the kind of person that when you had a bad day, you came home and you just looked at pornography, guess what? You don't have to do that anymore because you're a new creation. If you were that person that when you had a sexual desire, you wanted to just fulfill it, you don't have to do that anymore because you've been made new, the Bible is telling us, because God has placed his spirit inside of you. It's not just this outward action either. It's inward too. It's the way that we think about people. It's the way that we look at people. We no longer have to think about women as objects, men. And I know that women can objectify men, but it definitely seems to happen a whole lot more the other way, right? Where men are objectifying women. And that was what was going on in this culture. And that happens in our culture too. Women are not a sum of their parts, men. I have to tell you that this morning. They deserve honor and dignity because they've been made in the image of God. And so what goes on in our minds, that's just as condemning as what we do with our bodies. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, I think it's going to be on the screen behind me, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is condemning our inward actions as well as the outward ones. Because they all defile us. 
they're all going against God's original intent for marriage and sex. Because brokenness has entered our world. And so we need to respect others. This verse, as I was reading through it, I'm like, man, I can get my blood boiling right here. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. We need to respect others, church. And so first I want to tell you that this is not just respecting men just because it says brothers. This is referring to the church. Okay, this is referring to men and women. And so we might just think about it like we need to respect the husbands of those women that we might want to enter into relationships with. Yeah, for sure, we got to do that. And it's not just in wanting to enter into relationships, but it's those thoughts that we might have. And I know that men in this church lust after other women in this church. And it's something that we need to stop. We need to respect our brothers in that. But we don't just need to respect the brothers. We need to respect the women too. As a dad, I'm like fearing the moment that some boy starts looking at my daughter in a way that I don't want him to look at her. And so men, you need to respect the other fathers in this church and the way that you talk to and think about their daughters. And it's not just in this church, but it's outside. Like every woman that you might look at lustfully, men, it is somebody's daughter. It's probably somebody's sister. And at some point in time, it's probably going to be somebody else's wife. And we need to respect them in that. But again, we need to respect the women as well. I, I was reading this article this week, and because of how prolific pornography is in our society, men don't know how to look at other women. We can't look at a woman in her eyes and talk to her. We look at her in the chest and her butt because we still think that women are a sum of their parts. But man, when you're talking to women, you need to look at them in the eye because that's where they are. We need to respect them in that. We need to have appropriate conversations with people of the opposite sex. Like people want to give our, our vice president a hard time because he doesn't want to meet with women outside of just him and her because he wants to protect himself. But that's something that we should probably consider, guys, and girls. Like, I'm sorry, but the brokenness that's gone on in our, in our society, like it affects everything. And so we can enter into relationships that we don't even mean to initially. Because we end up spending time with other people. And so we need to respect that. We need to respect our spouses. Women need to be respected by other women as well. By not entering into inappropriate relationships with their husbands. And this can happen at work. This can happen on Facebook. This can happen anywhere. Guys, it's a dangerous thing that we're talking about here. And that's why Paul, when he says that sanctification is God's will for us, the first thing that he gets at is sexual immorality. Because it's so easy to fall into sin in this area. One final thing that I'm going to say on this. Um, it's been said, and I believe that this is a very true statement, that men, our wives, should be our standard of beauty. And I remember having a conversation with one of the guys in my community group about this. And he's like, I believe that's true, but I don't know how to do that. And if we want to know how to honor God with our sexuality, man, this is something that we need to know. 
Okay, so I'm going to give you, I gave him three easy steps. And I, and I think that this is something that we can apply to our lives, men, this morning. If you're married, take notes right now, okay? And if you're not married, take notes because women, this is the kind of guy that you want. And men, this is the kind of guy that you should want to be, okay? Men, we need to honor our wives with our words, You need to tell them that they're pretty and beautiful and wonderful and amazing and mean it. Because I'm guessing that you married them at one point in time because you thought all those things were true. And guess what? They're still true now. Okay? Second, stop watching porn and looking at other women lustfully. All right? I'm just going to say it. When we start looking at other women as objects and, and we're starting to gratify ourselves by looking at other women, guess what? It's hard to do that with your wife. Because things happen in your brains. And God designed it that way because it's supposed to happen with your wife, not with somebody else. And then finally, I'm going to tell you, you guys got to be having sex together, all right? Like in a church, we don't want to talk about sex a whole lot, but the, God has established it. God has set this up like husbands and wives are to have sex. Paul said that you need to have sex and you need to not be having sex only for a season because if you let it go any longer, you're going to fall into sexual immorality. Okay? The Bible has elevated the marriage relationship. The Bible has elevated sex within the covenant of marriage and we need to honor that church. It's for our good, for God's glory. Ephesians 5 says that marriage points to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so when we're living the way that God has called us to, the world gets to see what God is like. God uses marriage for our sanctification. God uses marriage to bring about His purposes in our lives. But God is not a killjoy in all of this. This is one of my fair verses. Let's just look at it right here. Okay, Proverbs chapter 5. God didn't just give us sex for procreation, church. He gave it to us for enjoyment. Okay, look at what the, the, the author of Proverbs says. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Like, this is good stuff, right? Like, this is what we want in our marriages, church. Amen? Like, I tell you what, I've been married for 17 years. Okay? Yeah, yeah, let's give a hand clap. Like, and, and I tell you what, like, our relationship has gotten better over time. It is intoxicating. Because we seek to fulfill what God has called us to as husband and wife in the covenant of marriage. But when we let other things come in from the outside, it's not the way that it should be. And that's what Paul is calling us to here this morning. And so maybe as we go through this this morning, you think that you got this. I'm going to say that you probably don't. Okay? I mean, Paul is talking to the church about their sanctification, and he brings this up first and foremost. Because it's a big deal. Because sexual sin is prolific in their culture and our culture. Porn is America's pastime. 
It brings in more money than Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NBA combined every year. And so it's a problem. And if you think that you got this dialed in, I'm going to say that you probably don't. Maybe you think it's crazy, but it's not. Like a lot of people want to tell me that this is old-fashioned, that this is outdated, that this is not culturally responsive. And I'm going to say, you know what? It might not be. But if we think about what the sexual ethic was 50 years ago, it was way different than our sexual ethic is today. And 50 years from now, who knows what the sexual ethic of our culture is going to be. But this has been established by the God who created it. It's outside of time. He's given us his word as the only objective, authoritative truth on the matter. We can't let where we're at culturally define it for us. We can't let where we're at geographically define it for us. We can't let where we're at in time define it for us because that's all changing no matter where you are. We can go and teach this same sermon in different parts of the world today and they're going to say that's way too liberal. Because they're still oppressing women with the way that they treat them in relationships. And so when we say this is for the freedom of the women in the relationship, they're like, nope, not for me. And so some people are going to say it's too conservative. Some people are going to say it's too liberal. But the word of God stands forever. And it is our only authoritative source on this. And there's some of you that hear this and you're like, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe it's true that it's for other Christians or maybe for my kids, but it's not for me. Because there's some sort of special circumstance in your life right now. Maybe it's because he really loves me and we've been together so long. And so we're just going to keep living the way that we're living outside of what God's called us to. Well, there's no special circumstance for that. It's not set up in Scripture for us. Some of you, maybe your, your spouse is sexually unavailable and so you go home and you watch porn and you take care of yourself because that's what you need to do to get by there is no special circumstance that's given for that in scripture or maybe your spouse is emotionally unavailable and so that person at work that makes you feel good about yourself that you can go and talk to and tell anything with and be yourself with that you're gonna that that that, that's fine but that's not okay either there are no objections in this there are no special allowances for any of these things instead what we read here if we're not living the way that God has called us to in verse 6 again because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you this is frightening church in the old testament the penalty for adultery or engaging in any sexual immorality was death. God isn't playing around here when he's talking about this church. We think that it's not that big of a deal. But what God says goes. It was his idea. He created it. He said it was very good. And when we disregard these teachings, the Apostle Paul tells us we're not disregarding men, but we're disregarding God. And it's God that we're sinning against. David, in in Psalm 51, after he committed his sexual sin with Bathsheba and killed her husband to try and get away with it, God finally came to him and revealed his sin to him, and he was broken, and he said, against you and you only have I sinned, because ultimately that's what matters, because God is an avenger in these things. 
He is going to carry out justice upon people who don't live according to this standard. People who want to take their sexuality into their own hands and not give it over to God because he's the one that created it. In Romans 12, 19, the Apostle Paul reminds us that vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And so some of you this morning need to be solemnly reminded that God is an avenger in all these things. You need to hear this to help you think soberly and clearly about how you're living in a way that would not be honoring to God regarding this this morning. But some of you need to hear this as a comfort this morning because you've been sinned against sexually. And you need to know that God will not allow any single thought, look, or action that's been committed against you to go unpunished either. Because God is an avenger in all these things and he will carry out his justice in the end. But finally, maybe you see yourself in this text this morning. Maybe as we look at it as a mirror, you can see where you're at, where you've transgressed what God's called you to this morning. Well, the gospel is for you. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying in your place for your sin. God has wrath toward all of our sin, church. And he certainly is an avenger in all of these things. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the wrath that you deserved was poured out upon Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. He died for you. And so you can come to him and be forgiven this morning, church. On the cross, Jesus also cleansed us from our sin and the sin that was committed against us. Nothing we could ever do could cleanse us from the filth of our sin, from the stain of our sin. And if you're like me, when you think about this text and you see yourself in there, it makes you feel dirty. Well, Jesus cleanses us from that. In Isaiah um, one eighteen, we're told that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We can come to him broken over what we've done and say, God, cleanse me, and he's there to wash it away, church. And then finally, because of Christ, God views you as righteous. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So every time and in every way that we failed, Jesus didn't. And he gave us his righteousness, and he took upon our sin so that when God looks at you, church, this morning, even if you're failing in this area right now, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, God does not see you as dirty, as filthy, as someone that's far from him, but he sees you as Jesus, as that perfect son or daughter of the king, as his kid. And so we have hope in that this morning, church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how perfect it is. And even when it hurts, God, we know that you've given it to us um, for your sake, for your glory, for our good, God, so that we could be a people um, that reflects you and, and your love for the world, God, so that we can be a people that's transformed and living set apart 
God, you've given us this call to sexual purity, this call to honor you with our sexuality, God. And I pray, Lord, that as a church that we would stand apart from our society, that when people think about the Christians that they know, the people that go to this church, that they would know that there's something different about them and the way that they live because they're not going with the flow of what culture says. They're not living in a way that's um, aligning to this world, but they're aligning themselves to you, God. Help us. Do this spirit work inside of us. Make us clean, God. Help us to honor you in this. In Jesus' name we pray.